0: Let's be grateful. Dear Lord God, we are very thankful for your word. The message of the gospel that brought us close to it. Your spirit that gave us understanding. We'd ask that we would seek more and more of it. And that we would desire to see others moved in the same way. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're looking at... Now, a lot of this stems from Roy telling me at one point, you know, you ought to preach more about evangelism. And I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not a sort of a how-to guy. You know, this step one, put your hand on their shoulder and bow your head. Um, I've read those sorts of guides to soul winning made easy, uh, where you psychologically manipulate somebody or come up with all sorts of illustrations or apologetics. I'm not that sort of person, but I'm big on the gospel. That's why we're together. That's why you can have all sorts of incorrect doctrine and come here and be in fellowship with someone who has all the correct doctrine, in case you didn't know. Anyone? Why we can get, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the message of the gospel that 2,000 years after it happened brought you out of darkness into light is there for others as well. And somehow, whether or not a church is into visitation programs, door-to-door, handing out tracts, whatever it is that people have as tactical maneuvers, we should all understand the gospel that saved us, we should all be excited about the gospel that saved us. And we should be looking at, remember, we're, we're down there in terms of minorities with, like, the homosexuals, okay? There are probably maybe 5% homosexuals, and there may be 5% Christians. We're down there. We're a minority. He said, I didn't come to church to be told that my minority status was like the homosexuals. We're a small group. We're, I know that Western American culture all believes in God, and every country music song will at least you know tip the cowboy hat to Jesus. But they we're, we're talking about real believers. We're talking about people who, again, who have gone from darkness into light, who have been wonderfully redeemed by the gospel, not someone who goes to church and not someone who likes Jesus and not, you know, typical American uh, cultural religion. We know what the gospel ought to be in us, and we're in a town with a college with a lot of people passing through, and we're here largely. My, my father wanted to uh, move here. Uh, we were back east and back in the 70s um, because here were two small towns, eight miles apart, separate states, they were the state school, you could influence two states by influencing two small towns, okay? Every four years, total redo of the college campus, who's here, and if you reach people for Jesus Christ, most of them go back and stay in their state. They work in Seattle, they work in Boise, they work in Twin Falls. They don't go away. So you can start influencing huge areas, but Because sometimes the churches just sort of have a a passive existence. Or when they get not passive, you're kind of embarrassed about what they do. Let's look at this early evangelism in Acts 3. Now, it's right after Pentecost. Pentecost. Pentecost sermon preached in chapter 2 and the first response of thousands of people becoming Christians uh, at the preaching of Peter at Pentecost and following. So now we're into that church life, what's going on. And verse 1 of chapter 3 says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, okay? The three in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at that gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Now one of the things that, I want you to be thinking not about tactics, because tactics sometimes are given to people who don't want to be evangelizing to give them enough of a kind of a structure that the structure will carry them away to talk to someone about Jesus. I'd rather have you know enough about the gospel that saved you, live enough in it, that of course you would tell somebody when you had an opportunity. Of course you would. That you'd even be looking for opportunities if you understood the gospel, if you were living a life like this. Right after Pentecost... Here's Peter and John. I mean, yeah, they're probably the two hottest apostle properties on the planet at that moment. I mean, the disciple whom Jesus loved and Peter, you know, the first pope. And they're going up to the temple to pray at three in the afternoon. Their life was this. a few questions that sort of pop into the mind, and I'd just like you to take them home with you and, and kind of put it down on your coffee table and look at it during the week. you saying, what is what's the nature of my life in the kingdom? Am I mostly not about this? Not that you're in full-time Christian work, not that you're running a Christian boarding house and pastoring a church, not that you're, you know, on the worship team, Whatever the, whatever the professionals might be doing with their time, you know the difference. You know whether or not your life could be described as being about Jesus Christ. Whether or not you're you know, digging you know, trenches for a new sewer line, you know the difference between when it's about the dollar and when it's about the Lord. So it's three in the afternoon. The people that are about the Lord are going up to the temple to pray. This is Herod's temple. Herod's temple was a pretty glorious uh, edifice that didn't last very many more years after this because the Romans destroyed it, but um, it had various terraced ways in, because uh, uh, Jerusalem is on a a rather steep ground and you had, um, had to have a lot of stairs going up to the temple. Uh, just inside the eastern wall of the city and they laid this cripple guy at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful this, the, the gate beautiful is uh, probably on the eastern side Josephus describes it in some length it was a very ornate um, copper bronze gate and uh, with a series of stairs you can read it in Josephus um, uh, Wars of the Jews and um, it 's it's also called the Corinthian gate because of the kind of metal that was used and it 's called in other cases it 's called the Nicanor gate because they found an inscription graffiti, I guess i Nicanor designed this thing you know so it 's the designer uh, of the gate so you 'll find a beautiful gate, Nicanor Gate or the Corinthian gate, very, very fancy and he 's the cripple guys laid there every day by his friends, family, to beg for money. Seeing Peter and John, verse 3, about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him with John and said, look at us. Now automatically, already, you say, I've got to go to Bible studies. I, my life is involved. I read, read the scriptures. I've got past the first question. But we're a little bit embarrassed, even in acts of mercy. Someone who can go by a homeless person and say, like, hold on, hold it, look at me. You, you feel embarrassed when somebody homeless, the guy with the cardboard, you know, will work for food, says something funny. It embarrasses us to be asked, begged about something. And Peter, with John, turns to this beggar, who is a valid beggar. He's been lame since birth. He has to be carried physically. He didn't go buy a a wheelchair at Goodwill and, you know wheel it down to outside of Walmart and get his cardboard up. Some people do that professionally. And in antiquity, there were professional beggars, too. This guy wasn't. He had to do it to live. But sometimes, even when the Sarah McLaughlin comes on singing about dogs and looks at you in a pleady way, you can say, oh, turn the channel, please. This goes on forever. Even when I like, I don't, I'm not that fond of animals, but uh, even when I, you know, veterans, you got Trace Atkins out there pleading with money, you got to churn the channel, go look at some cartoons. With the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not, it's not what you say, I'm not Peter, I'm not John, but we are representatives of the Most High God. We're the minority, yes but we're a minority who has been set free by the God who made heaven and earth. Sometimes our lack of courage, our attempt to not be noticed, not be noticed on the job about our Christianity. Well, I, I really don't want to bring this up because I don't want to, you know, offend the professional circumstance, or, and I'm not recommending that you do. But your heart of how you measure you in Christ is expressed in some of these little things. They were just confident. And not only were they confident, look at what they say. Look at us. And he fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. The guy's a a beggar. Someone stops and says, okay, let's have a chat. We'll talk, you and I. And then Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but I give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Well, there's countless little kids' songs written about this if you grew up in Christian circumstances, you sang them. You almost can't think of the verse as a legitimate verse because the walking, leaping, and praising God was just asking for a chorus to be written about it. Silver and gold have I none, I think is the King James version. and That also works into the chorus. But what are we doing here? Two men walking in the light of what is brand new Christianity on earth. Everything's been done. Jesus has died. He's been raised from the dead. He's ascended to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on his church. They have preached the message of the gospel. They've been turned from hiding people into people that were proclaiming Jesus Christ. And now they're walking around like hired guns they have that kind of you don't want to think of Peter and John as swaggering but they they know what they're about they know what they're about so much that they call attention to it not I won't bring it up my grandmother always said that you never talk about religion or politics in polite company Yeah, who cares for polite? Peter and John don't care. And they're willing to shake this situation where the guy doesn't want their, oh my gosh, they can heal me. He didn't want their advice. He was expecting money. Now, too often we would rather have everything but Christ to offer. We'd much rather be able to readily give money when called upon. To have so much money that when the homeless ask you for money, you didn't mind. You just okay, Here's five bucks. Here's five bucks. Here's 20 bucks. Here's 300 bucks. Whatever it is, it, you could just buy your innocence with money. We don't want to stop people and say, look at me. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. I'm going to heal you because of Jesus Christ. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Naturally, this guy was a fixture. While he clung to Peter and John, now, I always like to think about this situation when, whenever the deacons, Southern Baptist deacons, would stop me and tell me, don't run in the church, this is the house of God. Yeah. Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the temple of God, actual temple of God, and they got this guy clinging to them and then leaping and jumping and running around and hooting and hollering. It just kind of disrupts the sublime moment. All the people ran together to them, in the portico called Solomon's astounded. Now, Solomon's portico, if I had a, one of those laser projectors mounted right up there, which would be really cool, we could project it back here, and I could show you a map of the temple. But as it is, you're going to have to imagine it, um, using the front of the podium, because thankfully, it's kind of a rectangle. Uh, the house of God, the holy of holies, and the temple proper is right here. The court of the Gentiles and the court of women then sweep around it on the south and east side. There is a long colonnade down this side, which is called Solomon's. And then there's the royal colonnade on the south side, which is the, the royal porch. It says Solomon's porch and the royal porch are your two colonnades. So open uh, pillars with a roof. Uh, Josephus describes the size of the pillars, the decorations, the nature of the roof, how high they were. It's a pretty massive enclosure, and rabbis would use the various porches, the, the, the what we're called the bays of the porches, between four columns for their schools. So, just like you would have philosophers at Athens use the colonnades for, you know, teaching Epicurean or Stoic philosophy, in the temple in Jerusalem, you had different schools of of thought being represented, and, and, the, and the Christians, and the uh, teachers of Christianity were in that situation. They gathered together in Solomon's porch, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. <coughs> Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. So far, so good. The audience is in the temple. They're Jews. They like this chat. Oh, Abraham, know that name. Ah, Isaac, know that name. Jacob, you bet. The God of our fathers, you betcha. Oh, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses oh thanks for coming by take a tract on the way out he picks up every awkward part of the gospel in the worst possible terms and lays it out for people. We're so interested in having large turnouts for our Christian endeavors that we're not going to say squat. we're not supposed to tell people they killed Jesus Christ, even if I saw them do it. Because you said we were witnesses, right? What a great opportunity. These guys had just healed a cripple in front of, it's like a stage. These great staircases, the great gates of made of Corinthian bronze, uh, designed by whoever that guy was everybody's streaming to the temple hour of prayer it's like the spotlights click on and then a guy the guy overreacts so everybody's drawn to it the, youth, the viral video goes out everybody sees it see that was show that i could relate to young people because i mentioned that um And everyone's gathered around. Listen to this. All right, what a great opportunity. And Peter's advisors are going to say to him, Okay, this is a great opportunity. Don't blow it, don't bring up what they're guilty of. People are seeking God. They're here at the temple. What more do you want, for heaven's sake? Peter wanted them to know what they'd done. Did you, did you notice Phil Robertson? Was it Cy, Cy Robertson, Duck, Duck Dynasty? I don't watch Duck Dynasty, for heaven's sake I'm civilized. But I like them. And he came a few weeks, a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, people just didn't like me telling them what kind of sin they were involved in. He was speaking frankly. Do you ever tell people what kind of sin has separated them from the Lord? Do you ever tell them why the gospel is even there? You want to get around Jesus. You want to get around to his saving grace. But you never want to let them know that they need saving. And his name... By faith in his name. That's great. What a great phrase that is. His name. By faith in his name. We're not talking about an incantational use of the word Jesus Christ that somehow, and then people go, you know, his name was really Joshua. Okay, right. It's not that those words coming out of your lips have power. But his identity, who he is, has power. And faith in who he is has power. And you'll notice when religion enters the public sphere, Jesus doesn't get allowed to come in. You can talk about God. If you're a chaplain of the Senate and you're asked to pray, because every Senate meeting, every Senate session opens with prayer, It's fine. Those of us who've been in the military know how Chaplaincy Corps becomes just a joke. Because they don't mention Jesus. They're not allowed to. You should be happy that we're allowing you to talk about God at all. Oh yeah, thank you, Massa. Peter doesn't have that problem. He said, you guys are jerks. You killed him. He was raised from the dead. I am telling you that it's him, he who has made this guy well. He has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith which is through Jesus was given the man, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Well, so far he's not making friends and influencing people. And now, brethren, We have to realize that when we claim Jesus Christ, we're claiming Jesus Christ. We're not claiming the privilege of being considered religious people, part of that good part of a society that shows they've got. You. Know, why do people? When you ask them, you know, are you, are you, are you a Christian or you have a religion? No, but I'm spiritual. Everyone knows they've. They're supposed to have a spiritual element. Everyone knows. It, just keep it polite. Don't make it anything ugly, because we wouldn't want to be compared to the jihadists, right? Oh yeah, we wouldn't. But that's not what our religion preaches. Our religion doesn't preach that uh, we should kill everybody to go to heaven. We preach that that everyone has killed our God and they will probably kill us too for telling them. Do you know what name defines you? Are you a Christian or are you a Protestant? Some people think Christian is more generic. I'd say it's a little bit more particular. A lot of Protestants I don't I know aren't Christians. Because Protestantism is an allegiance to a certain mechanism of doctrine, not Jesus Christ. Christianity is allegiance to... I think Protestants are... are You're Protestants, for heaven's sake. That's fine. I, I agree with the Protestant position. But I'm a Christian. When you have his name and faith in his name and he has made this man well... And the faith that is from him has allowed this to happen. I have to be conscious of what defines me so that I know when I am going to speak for my religious framework, I will speak accurately. If I speak some namby-pamby, vague niceties about mankind living better together and, and, and being happy, that's really what does God want but us to be happy? Well, He wants you to change. Repent. That's right, jumped ahead there. Verse 17 first. Now, brethren, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. And turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, until the time for establishing all that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Cut to the chase. You guys are evil. That's why we are here preaching the gospel. And given that the whole message is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, ascended to glory to take his seat at the right hand of the Father as God, because of the sin of man. That means that those of us who are in that world, that the sin-righteousness axis, we were talking about this with the unity of the believers Friday night. There's a sin-righteousness axis, and then there is the story of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The answer to the sin-righteousness problem. People are bad. God wants them to be good. If they're not good, He was going to do bad things to them. So he sent his son to die for them. And that's the message we preach. Therefore, repent that you may have your sins blotted out. Look at that that, that list. You get repentance. You turn away from this awful. You have to hear that you're awful to turn away from it. No, you don't have a syndrome. You're just a jerk. No, it's not. I know your parents didn't love you adequately. Perhaps you have some sort of issue. I don't care. Your your sins could be really complicated, but they're sins. Repent. Give up you. You are not important. Your sins can be blotted out then. It finally gets positive. Finally you're saying something that, that sounds good. When people become Christians, you remember this when you became a Christian, the forgiveness of sins. Not only that it was preached to you, but when it happened. I just read a testimony yesterday. My father gave me of an old friend of ours. How overwhelmed she was with how she felt with her sins lifted. That refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You've heard me say, probably countless and too many times, that the chief desire and end of man is to find peace. Everything we do is to find peace. You take drugs for peace. You drink coffee for peace. You make money for peace. You fight wars for peace. What else do we do for peace? Drink heavily? Drink lightly. Smoke cigars. um, Dress nicely. Want to be comfortable. Get air conditioning. All of it to bring a state of ease into our life because life is chaos. All the way down to our souls. Look at what the Christian message is. Repent so you can be forgiven so that you can be refreshed as you wait for your Savior. That's that passage tidied up. You turn from your sins, you get forgiven of your sins, you get refreshed in the Lord, and you wait for the Lord. The blessed hope. Do you have, just as an aside, do you have a... um, not a script. I don't. I would never recommend that. Or A way of describing what it is you believe. I would recommend, if you haven't, if you consider yourself a believer, writing up your own experience with the Lord. Just for you, not for anybody else. But you might find that as you express it, that you'd like to make it available to somebody else. Or it puts it in your mind so that you can tell somebody of how you passed from death to life. It gives it words. If you just know it happened and you've never put it to, put it to words, you, you might not uh, see it that way. But if you sat down and wrote, how did I become a Christian? Are you ready with a clear statement? Because believe me, I was thinking about this recently. Leslie did her Good Wife seminar this last semester. um, Which, uh, when when we came up with the idea years ago of having the big house, it was because Leslie didn't consider herself good at teaching Bible studies. And so we said, okay, what can Leslie do? She's a natural hostess, entertainer. So let's be looking for a ministry that would accommodate her gifts and mine. Mine are sitting around. Um, but you know I, I, you say Evan you have a gift of gab you, you could get up there and throw any subject in front of you and you're going to be able to just start talking I like talking I work at those sorts of things but my wife was concerned that she didn't have that to do Well, as she was thinking about the passage in Titus it tells the older women which she is one now to teach the younger women Be better wives and mothers. She knew that was on her. And when she did her good wife seminar, she did a great job. Now what was the difference? She had 36 years of doing it. Confidence. Knowing it. Knowing your material. Oh, I couldn't give a speech. Yeah, even the most what happens to you? You're talking to somebody in computer science, no offense, computer science people. But there is a pattern. These are people that if you gave them a, I'd like you to make a speech at the Chamber of Commerce on some policy, they'd flip out. Because they're introverts, they're geeks, they're who knows what sort of awful people these computer people are. (laughs) Just awful. But what happens, what happens, these quiet, retiring, insecure people, somebody says something computery in the conversation. Katie bar the door. All those people find that now we're talking. Now I know something. Now I'm confident. And they will become almost like evangelists about whatever operating system they think is to hear Al talk about Microsoft, it's, well, it's like the prophet John the Baptist you know, railing people who don't think that they could be public speakers, when you know something you can be when you're confident about what it is because you know your stuff You're going to get out there. Matter of fact, you sometimes insist that you get out there. You start turning conversations to your subject so you can dominate. Well, Jesus would like you to do that for him. He'd like you to be that confident. That clear. Understand it. This is what has happened to them at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. They have been... taught what the Lord taught them. That's what he promised the Holy Spirit would do. He would come and he would teach you, remind you of all the things I taught you. Suddenly, Peter and John, they've got, they're loaded for bear. How would you like to get loaded for bear? Know the gospel. Know your Lord. Know what the real problem is. Know what the, all the forces of, of human power that are going to try to put you back in a box and say, "Don't okay, you can talk about religion, but don't talk about Jesus. Don't pray in the name of Jesus. Don't do this and don't do that. Won't stop you. Oh, they may hurt you. That woman in Sudan might be killed for her faith. Those things happen. We thank God that someone is able to be martyred for the cause. We'd like to see her released. We don't want her martyred. But if she is, that's what happens to us, because we know, not that it's really successful, and that people really like to hear their sinners, they don't. Most of them are going to reject. This is not a piece of advice that says, "How do we get the most souls won for Jesus? This is not it. This is the way, way to win the souls to Jesus the right way. That they come to Christ knowing their sinners. They come to Christ knowing of repentance, His forgiveness, that refreshing, and the patient waiting for the return of Christ. Moses said, verse 22, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet from your brethren, as He raised me up, and you shall listen to Him in whatever He tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. That was a prophecy. I have the prophecy over here, Deuteronomy 18. I have the prophecy of Jesus Christ. That's why earlier in Christ's ministry, it was, he was being asked, or oh John was asked, are you Elijah, are you the prophet? The prophet is this prophecy. Are you the prophet, the one that Moses said was going to come and say whatever God told him to say and that he, we would be judged for not listening to him. That's who Christ is. And we are his representatives. And we're apologetically removing his, even his name. When it's his name and by faith in his name that this guy is healed and that you were saved. Politeness trumping the truth. Fear of rejection socially. and Again, I'm not saying you step into every situation. You're at a business lunch. No matter who's there, you say, I'll thank God for the food. And stand on your chair, raise an arm in the sky. Almighty God. I knew a guy who did that. That's he was with pastors. It was a pastor's luncheon. He was a Christian comedian. This is back before those were invented. That's He knew that all these pastors were embarrassed about praying in this restaurant, so he thought he'd ring them up a bit. Stood on his chair. They asked him to pray because he was the guest. Stood on his chair, raised his arm. And, oh, almighty God! <laughs> pastors embarrassed. That's the first law of restaurant prayer, Right? You're 14, your dad's a Christian, and he wants to pray over the meal. What happens? First law of restaurant prayer? Just as the whole family, and your father decides to get eloquent and pious. Giving the waitress ample time to show back up with a question or your food. Because you're 14. And life is hell. What brought that up. The Lord raised up this prophet in Christ. We are his. Get to know him. I don't want you to go out and pretend like you know him. I don't want you to go out and pretend to be insistent and difficult. Because if ungodly people go out there and mimic boldness, mimicked boldness generally comes off as rude. Mimic boldness generally comes off as, you know, insulting. You can stand for Jesus Christ in the most loving way. Only if you know him. That this boldness is because you have come to know what the gospel is. You have seen the work in you. You know this is what you have to offer in your society. Whenever you're given a chance. They weren't buttonholing everybody up on the way to the temple. They saw the beggar. He asked for alms. They said, Look at me. They changed his life. They took a situation. You're not trying to glad hand everyone and cold call everyone. You're being ready with your confidence in your world, not leaving anything of the Lord out, not leaving anything of the truth out. We want to follow this prophet in whatever he tells us because we don't want to be destroyed. Verse 24, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came afterwards also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God gave to your fathers saying to Abraham, And in your posterity shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Jesus is not here to make your life better. You know, it is. You say, well, no, that's true, Evan, it's to make your life better. By turning you from your wickedness. Not by just having a better sense of um, how to get on in life, and, and a better way of being friends to other people, and, and getting along in your family, all the things that we're told we ought to be. And just, you could, you could listen to the Buddhists and they would tell you the same thing. Good, good good, ideas. You could read Socrates, get those same good ideas. Ethics, behavioral ethics, recommended goodness is available everywhere. Dr. Phil will give you good advice. Christ sent us sent to us by God is to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The crisis of belief is turning people from serving themselves, even if they want to serve themselves into a better ethical state, really is turning all of us from ourselves to our God. All of your sins are because you were serving yourself. One kind or another, you were serving your own desires. What does it say? We are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. You've got desires. You know what they are. We don't have to discuss it. We know what that is. We know what that is up in the world. We know what that is on campus. We know what that is down at the bars. We know what that is in churches all over the country. People are following their own urges. and You're the kind of Christians who want to be following what the prophet said who is sent by God, to be listened to by everybody, who will be judged if they don't. But he wants to bless you. And he wants to bless those other people. If you say, what? I'm not quite sure what the point was this morning, Evan, besides being evangelistic. There was no tactics given. If there is a tactic or if there is something to recommend, that you be thinking about how well you know him How well you know that gospel. How well you know the nature of man. How confident are you in it. What possible suggestion could the world give to shut you up when you know the living God. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the name of your son that came with power that showed it in us not just in this man who was healed we are grateful for that story of your son's death his burial his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to be at the right hand Lord we're grateful that the people here have this blessing we trust they do Lord and we'd ask that those that do would look on it, measure it with the measure that you have given it, not as a small portion of the religious in the world, but the servants of the, ma- of the agent who made the world. That we would see the confidence of our gift we can give to people, we would know what the story is in their lives, we would be witnesses of it, and we'd be witnesses of Christ. Lord, if there's any here who don't know you, we'd ask that they would be uniquely moved by their sins and by the power of the name of your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen.